everybody and welcome back to the Soda Pop Podcast. Today I'm here with a very special guest. I'm here with Suzanne Reese Mills. Hi everybody. Uh, a double last name, which is even better, double fun. <laughs> Suzanne is a professor here at UNA. If you can give us like a brief little description before we talk about you more. Sure, yeah. I am full-time starting this semester in the Cinematic Arts and Theater Department. I am from Florence. I was actually a UNA student for undergrad. Moved back in 2019, started doing some adjunct work here, and this semester I'm official. I'm here It's official, people, <laughs> and we love it. We love that you're here. Before we get started, we're going to do a little fresh squeeze segment. If you don't know, I'm a lemonade lover. I love lemonade so much. Um, even though we're a soda podcast, there's only so many sodas before you basically <laughs> have them all. But there's always so many different lemonades. This week we have, um, what is this called? Everfresh Lemonade. The big 24. I don't, they didn't have a smaller size. So this is all we have. I mean, you know. Always big. give it a shake because last week okay. I found out people don't know you need to shake a, a good lemonade first. I wouldn't have known. Yeah. Shake it first and then open it. We're going to try <laughs> it. And then we're going to talk about some new music that we've been listening to or just music we've been listening to a lot in general. Awesome. ASMR. Oh, yeah. There we go. That was a good one. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. There's some more ASMR. <laughs> I love that sound. I love that sound. This lemonade, not as much, but that sound, a great sound. I'm not a connoisseur, but I like it. I'm cool with this. It's not, it reminds me of fair lemonade. Okay. Like yeah. when you go to the fair and they do like the little shakeups. Yeah. It's not bad. This was $1.99. For the size, <laughs> it's not a bad price. I really like sweet things. Yeah. If you like a tartar lemonade, I feel like this is perfect for you. Mm. And just because Maybe I- Maybe that's why I like it. Yeah. I just like sugar. Um, <laughs> that's my problem, but it's not a bad lemonade. It's not as good as last week's. Um, last week we did, uh, the mango, uh, lemonade from Publix. 10 out of 10 if you like mango. Oh, okay. Good. It's, it's not, it doesn't taste like orange juice. It actually tastes like mangoes. Interesting. That's why I like it. So for a tart lemonade, like this is very high, but since I like sweet things, I'm going to give it about a six out of 10. I endorse this. I'm going to go with an eight. But I don't know if I can be trusted because I love tart things. I will eat a grapefruit. Oh yeah, uh, every day, nothing on it. So my mom that's goes me. and buys like the big jugs of like uh, pre-pilled uh, grapefruits and just oh, eats it yeah. straight out the thing. I'll do it too. Yeah, but yeah, no, ever, ever force, no, ever fresh. Just the regular lemonade, not bad. Really, it really is not bad. It's just I wish it had more sugar. Really not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Buy it today. Um, would you like to talk about any music you've been listening to recently? Oh, I feel like I'm such a bad person to ask. I am such a creature of habit. Mm -hmm. I think maybe with music in particular, I listen to the same things over and over and over and have been doing so for a few decades, probably. That's not a problem. I, of course, I love musical theater, as yes. you know, so I'm always listening to musicals and I play them for my kids, you know, I'm trying to give them the, the proper education. Of course, you gotta start them out young. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I also, I love the Avett Brothers. Um, I love Damien Rice. Yes. I like Nickel Creek. Um, I always punch the creek in that because I feel like I'm about to say Nickelback and I know that that's <laughs> controversial. Yes. I don't have an opinion on Nickelback, okay? They're not as bad. That's the only thing I'm going to say. They're not as bad as people claim they are to be. Yeah, it's weird, right? It's, people have very strong feelings. If you, My thing is for Nickelback, don't think of it as a country. Don't think of it as rock. Just think of it as Nickelback and you'll have a great time. It's its own thing. Exactly. And just enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, but typically that's it for me. It's all my old stuff and, um, you know, my musicals. I don't, ooh, 
every once in a while I turn on a, a radio station where they're playing new things. Yeah. But I think I'm a little snobby. No, that's because fair. Because of my, my, you know. No, be snobby. That's... My background. I can't help it. I'm, I'm a little critical. Yeah. With pop music. No, that's fair. <laughs> I, no, because I, I have a hard time getting into musicals. So when I find a musical, like, it's just the same one over and over yeah. and over again. So, like, it's fine to like yeah. the same thing. What do you like? What's current that I should like? I don't know if it's current that you should like. I have a very eclectic taste in music because okay. I will go one minute to screaming and crying to like <laughs> 80s pop in like less than two songs. But um, this week, um, Penelope Scott, I love Penelope Scott. Okay. She's very electronica. Um, she put out a new song called Gross and I love it. It's very fun. It's very, it's very electronic-y and I love it. Um, also, there's a new song by a group I love called Infinity um, Song. They're a black group, and hopefully one day I get to interview them. I'm manifesting that right now. <laughs> um, they put out a song called Hater Anthem, and I am such a hater at heart, so I love it. Like, it, it feels all of my little scratches. You're the audience. The yes. intended audience. I am the intended audience. <laughs> they hit the target with me, so I That's love amazing. that. So those are my two songs this a week. hater at heart. Yes, it's the haters anthem, and I go, yes, I understand you're making fun of haters, but it's so catchy that I'm like, why not? <laughs> so that's how I view it. So that's um, those are going to be on a playlist on Spotify. I'm going to add some of the songs from the artists that Suzanne put. I'm going to put the songs on there. If you want to look at them, just head over to our Spotify playlist. Oh, my God. I need to stop hitting forward. Spotify <laughs> playlist um, um, profile, and the playlist will be there under Fresh Squeeze. Let's get started talking, shall we? Yeah. So, Suzanne, you are new here. Yes. You are teaching theater, and you're also in music because you help with the musical theater certificate. A little, yeah. So I, I taught in the music department for three years. Um, now, really, I have one voice student who I'm holding on to. Mm -hmm. Of course, most of what I'm doing is in CAT now. Um, but so I am CAT faculty, but, you know, I still have got the relationships in the music department. Yes. And then teaching a voice lesson is pretty much my only class that I'm doing there. Oh, so you're like almost, you're almost done. I don't like that. I know. It's weird. You, Suzanne has such a pretty voice. If, you, if she ever gets the chance to like, listen, if you ever get the chance to listen to her sing, do it. We'll put some of my tracks on the playlist too. I'm I, kidding. I'm I, kidding. I'll, I'll, I'll find some. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Ethan will give me some. Um, so my question is like, you said you, you originally are from Florence mm -hmm. and you went here. Mm -hmm. Why are you back? Great question. Yeah. Um, I always think this is a great selling point for UNA or for any other institution who can say this or, or area, because for me, UNA brought me back, but also the Shoals brought me back. I love, I love UNA. I love Florence. I love the Shoals area. Um, so, and I should say I was born in Memphis, but I lived in Florence from the time I was like 11. So I typically say I'm from Florence. I feel like I am. I went through the Florence city school system, um, did undergrad here and I just, UNA was such a home for me. And I that's one of the things that I love about it. And about the Shoals, again, I think that they're, they're so intertwined. And one of the things I love is that we have some, you know, we've got some of the uh, great resources and connections. And I love how much the arts are valued here. Yes, they really are. There's always a new cool restaurant. You know, Darnell Ferguson has a restaurant in Tuscumbia. <laughs> I think that's so cool. Uh, John Paul White teaches here. Yes. There's so many things like that. But then you also get a really homey feeling. You know, it feels like a small community. And UNA, I, I feel like, is the same way. There's so many cool things always going on here, but 100%. it just also feels very homey. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's big enough, but it's not too big. I agree. Because um, one thing about you is you're, you're constantly involved with local theater. And like, how did you get down that path, if that makes any sense, like directing local theater? Because everyone can go audition, but like, I feel yeah. like to direct is a harder 
thing? Yeah, well, it's because I started out auditioning. I um, I did some community theater in high school and mostly college. So when I was a student here at UNA, I would do whatever I could. You know, I performed some on campus, but then also um, a little bit with the Shoals Theater. But then I got in um, to summer stock at the Ritz Theater and just completely fell in love with that program. And at the time, it was David Hope, um, who's still local here, and he is an incredible director. And um, he, he created this program that was for uh, young people, you know, uh, college students, high school students, and young professionals um, to get some great training and to get involvement in some good productions. Uh, so I did that. I performed as a college student and got some really good training through that and experience and then went off to Boston to get my degree, uh, my musical theater degree. And then when my husband and I were deciding to come back to the area, I got put in touch with the Tennessee, Tennessee Valley Arts Association. They're the ones who oversee the Ritz Theater. Yes. And they brought me on as artistic director, which is just, I love it. I love doing it, but I also just feel honored to be doing it because it was something that meant so much to me. Yes. So now I get to be on this side of it. You're, gonna pass, you're passing the torch That's down. right. It was passed to me as a director, and now I get to keep passing it on to performers. Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot of these roles are teaching roles. Mm. And my thing is, like, I, I think you're a phenomenal teacher, so this is a personal thing. Thank why, you. Um, why did you choose to teach? You know, yeah. you're coming back to a college to teach it. You're teaching it technically now with, with the Ritz, and being a director is basically another form of teaching. Yeah. So why? I love teaching. Um, I think, you know, it, it feels like such a general thing to say, I think, because of course, if you're teaching, there are so many different things that you can teach. But as I continued in my study, going through undergrad and then grad school, I sort of, over time, came to understand this about myself. I love leading. Um, and I also, I get really, really excited to pass things on. Um, sometimes annoyingly so. <laughs> I promise you it's not. <laughs> My acting class yesterday was just laughing at me because, you know, sometimes it's things that are completely unrelated um, to the, the subject matter, but something will come up in conversation. No, um, I had her for my beginning acting class and like we would go on tangents that had nothing to do about acting, but I loved how you like you were so passionate about just learning and teaching us different things, even if it had nothing to do with it and we lost <laughs> a day of right. class. It was just very interesting because you're like, no, we can actually take this and go this way and that way and that way. I'm like, tell me more. I am so intrigued. <laughs> everything connects, everything applies. And that's one of the things I love about teaching theater specifically is that truly everything is is connected everything um has to do with everything else and and studying acting in theater is really studying being a human you know yes. it's just you're exploring what it means to be on this planet and to interact with people and so I, I love that about it, that nothing ever really, because I do, I love a tangent, but then I also will say it almost feels like it's not a tangent because there's always a way to connect. Everything it. connects. Yeah. And it's, it's a fun thing when you connect everything because connecting that, in fact, I love how you said like acting is studying humans. Yeah. I didn't realize that for the first time until my first act, my real, my first real acting teacher told me, go and people watch. Mm. You know, you never realize how hard it is to sweep 
or how to how weird it is right. to mop or drink coffee until you're watching someone else do it. Yeah. And it's also kind of weird because like you're also stalking people without trying to stalk people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like a very weird thing. Like just go watch people without watching them. We have a great excuse to be weirdos and people watch. It's the exactly. Best. <laughs> it's really fun. Um, so that's like one of my favorite things. Everything connects and you connect yeah. it very well and you oh, explain yourself you. very well. So that tangent all you want. You, you'll make it make sense eventually. Um you are the musical girl, as we say in the department. If you have a musical question, you have something about musicals, you go and see Suzanne. So I'm required to talk to you about musicals. I love it. Let's um, do it. We're going to do a deeper musical question later. But my thing is, I know um, I personally like theater more than musicals. Mm. Like I like a traditional play. Sure. Um, so what pushed you to do more musicals than to do like just actual, just regular theater, if yeah. that makes sense? Yeah. Well, so I... I think that music and theater have this in common, and it's because it's true of all art, but that they're uniquely able to stir something in you. You know, we're talking about how it's all about being a human being and and figuring out what that really means. And, you know, if we boil it down to what art is typically trying to do, it's to evoke an emotion or a response, right? So I, I'm from a very musical family. I should say that too. My parents both sang and my siblings and... So I was raised around music and theater, um, but really I would say primarily music from the beginning. My my dad um, has a degree in, in music, and um, so that was just a huge part of my development. And I always noticed that about music specifically, that it makes me feel in a way that nothing else does. Um, it, it's something that can alter my state, my emotional state in a way that I really, I really don't think anything else can do. And so that's what I think is so powerful about musical theater, because of course, theater is similar in that way. But when you put them together, for me, that style of writing, the typical kind of musical theater style, um, it's all about being able to step into the character's lives. So if we think about opera, Typically, and this can be a, a bit, you know, painting with broad brush strokes, but it feels a bit more removed, a bit more formal. Um, but musical theater is typically characters are saying exactly what's on their minds. And they're saying it in a way that we might use spoken word. But then you add in music, and I just think that it's so stirring emotionally. So I really love both. I, you know, I, I don't know that I could choose between theater and musical theater, but I like that I get that combination with a musical. A question I have is when it comes to directing, because you're currently this semester going to be directing The Importance of Being Earnest, mm -hmm. and I will gladly have you back for that, <laughs> um, and some of the cast members as well. But do you, do you, how you view musicals affect how you direct like regular theater or do you approach them very differently? Yeah. Well, so sure, you, you definitely have to approach them differently, right? But I do think that being in musical theater, you know, being in that world and having directed a, a lot of musicals, it does inform the way I direct um, non-musical plays. I think that I'm just more in tune to the, the rhythm of a piece. Um, and, you know, I also, in addition to actually doing music, I've also focused a lot on diction and dialects and accent work. Um, so I am always interested in using the, you know, that oral communication. Um, how can we use sound and how can we actually manipulate these words? And, um, you know, in acting, we talk about beats 
And so pacing is so important and how to really package everything in time and space, right? And so the time part is to me very musical. Yes. A hundred percent. I I agree with that. Mm. I don't I don't have anything else to add because I disagree. <laughs> um we're gonna take a quick break from the questions because we gotta be flat for a second. Okay, great. Okay, one thing I need to be honest with y'all about is that Suzanne is a magical person. Okay. <laughs> um, she is a dialect coach. And she can pull any accent out of a hat. Literally, we spent one class period just trying to make her do different accents, <laughs> and she wouldn't let us do it. But Speaking of tangents. <laughs> we, we almost got there. So this segment, if you don't know, I call it B-flat because we're a soda pop podcast, and I have to make everything a soda pun. Um, you know, sometimes you don't like flat sodas. You have to be honest. They're not good. That's They're right. bad. So we're going to be honest for a second. Okay. And this time, we're going to be honest. This edition is going to be accents as slash dialect edition. I can't talk today. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm in front of a dialect coach. Anyway, um, I know for me personally, the thing I have to be really honest about is that I don't find the British accent all that. Interesting. This, this is probably okay. just going to go off my hatred of just British people, but <laughs> I, it's a thing. I can tell you a about hater it later. at heart. I told she you. You told us. <laughs> There's, I can make a compilation of me just talking about my hatred of British people in this oh thing, God. and it would probably be like 10 minutes long. But people, like, especially like when One Direction was a big craze, everyone's mm. like, you don't understand the accent. It's just so romantic. <laughs> it's just everything. I just love the accent. And I'm like, babes, it's not all that. <laughs> calm down sweetheart it's it's not that good like you don't okay. get the appeal i like the one i do get the appeal of is like an australian accent mm, but yeah. i realized that an australian accent is just british people from the south and so i'm probably just more in time to things that sound southern interesting okay than something yeah. that just sounds like very because when you think british for the most part you think you know posh right and uptight right and stuck up <laughs> and you see all my bias coming out. but And we know that those things are not true. I just want to go on record as saying I love British people. <laughs> Suzanne is not like me. I know that you love all the people too. Yes. But I hear what you're saying. You don't get that you're not yeah. an Anglophile. And a lot of Americans are really big Anglophiles. Yeah. Interesting. What about you? What's something you'd be honest about? Ooh. Um, okay. Uh, can I give an example of an accent that I think is terrible. Sure. So not not an, uh, an accent that I think sounds bad, but um, an accent being poorly executed. Yes. I don't know how zeitgeisty this is anymore, but you remember when The Walking Dead was huge? Yes. The accents on that show were terrible. Terrible. And actually, and uh-oh, I'm jumping on board with you because I think a lot of them were Brits and they were trying to do Southern American accents. And they were so bad. It made it nearly unwatchable for me. And obviously, they're incredible actors. I'm not saying I'm better than any of them. But I, it was so tough. And this is actually a fun fact uh, with Suzanne. Um, this is something that I share sometimes with people. And especially when I was teaching um, dialects and accents in the Boston area, which is where I really started doing this, people think of a Southern accent as being easier than it is, I think. Um, it's very difficult to do. Yes, it is. It feels so, I think that maybe people think they can do it because it's so familiar. You know, yes. it's very distinctive. It sounds homey. Right. And so I, and it, you know, similar to a British accent in this way that a lot of English speakers probably approximate it sometimes, even if it's just for fun or making fun, right? But I think the thing about the Southern accent is that if you're trying at it, you're already failing. Because the thing about it is that it's so easy and it just kind of falls out. You, you know, it's like lazy. It. And so I had so many Northeasterners trying to do a Southern accent and I was like, oh, you guys. And it was the same thing, Walking Dead, I couldn't stand it. 
No, so, that's, that's it. That's that me being fair. flat. You see, you see it, but it feels nice to get that off your chest. It does. I feel great. You love, you just love, you love a little something off, just a little something, and that's like all that matters. You know, yeah. that's the point. You know, not everybody has to be as harsh as I am. <laughs> Because, like, Suzanne is such a sweet person, you know? I didn't know if you were going to actually have anything, to be honest. Oh, I'll come to the table. I'm here with oh, you. Oh, bet. I love that. <laughs> That's perfect for me. So um, the big question I have for today mm-hmm. for you is I was on TikTok. And there was this guy, his TikTok handle is like the musical dealer. Okay. And his whole stick is that like he'll help you find a musical. Mm-hmm. Like there's a musical for everybody. Cool. And he's constantly finding ones. He's constantly putting stuff out there. He's finding about new musicals. And I love him. He's a really good guy. Um, He brought up something that I feel like you would have a lot of stuff about. Musical okay. terminology. Mm. We typically refer to the different ages of musicals. And one of the big one is the golden age. Yeah. People love the golden age of musical. Yeah. However, he was taking a, a voice class and his voice coach was like, um, we're not calling it that anymore. We're calling it the uh, neoclassical. Is okay, what his yeah. voice coach was calling, referring, yeah. to ta- referring, referring to it as. Um, but he was like, what was that? Because he didn't say that. He was like, okay, so what's from your neoclassical you know, collection? He was like, huh? What is yeah. this? I've never heard this before. And because there's already a classical period. So he was like, what do you mean neoclassical? And then he explained like the golden age. Yeah. And then some people in that comment section were like, I don't really like the form neoclassical. Some people like gilded age because it's mm. shiny on the outside, but means nothing. Because if you don't know, the golden age is typically between 1943, Oklahoma and 1959, like Gypsy slash Sound of Music. Please sure. correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's better. Um, and so it's typically, the reason they're typically bad is because there's a lot of racism, sexism, classism, paganism, it's probably there. Um, so like, what's your opinion and take on that, you know? I think that's fascinating. I had not heard that, that terminology switch. I think he's from the North, if that changes. Sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we progress at, at different rates sometimes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I love to hear this. Um, yeah, I think that that is very interesting to assign a different name to it because um, everything you're pointing out is exactly right. You know, I think one of the tough things about teaching, I mean, really any practice or any um, field of study that's been around for a while, it's going to be fraught with some of those isms. Um, and so teaching the history can be really difficult sometimes. And especially because if I'm assigning repertoire, it is important that we cover a lot of different styles. And covering a lot of different styles usually does necessitate covering a lot of different time periods. And so it is important, you know, if I'm working with a voice student to assign them pieces from the golden age or the neoclassical era. Um, I do like Gilded Age. I think that that's interesting too. But yeah, I I see the, the need for that because calling it the golden age really plays into this idea that I think a lot of people do still have that it was the good old days, right? And that's a dangerous idea to have, to look back on that with rose-colored glasses and be like, oh, everything was so simple for a very select few. So pretty, so perfect. Exactly. Yeah, so I I think that's very cool. I might adopt that. Um, another question I have is about all the different like stages of musicals. I genuinely do not know them. So could yeah. you influence me and tell me more about this? Yeah, so usually if I am assigning rep and I want to cover sort of the different eras, um, you know, musical theater is relatively young, especially compared to a lot of other um, artistic genres or fields. Um, so I usually do start with the Gilded Age or the neoclassical era. Um, you know, and that's where you 
are going to have a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein pieces, Sound of Music, you said Oklahoma, Carousel, a lot of that kind of thing. And the reason it's important is not just because it's a prominent part of the canon, but also it represents or embodies a particular style of singing. Um, and a lot of times you'll hear that referred to as legit singing. And that's problematic too, because it sort of, uh, you know, implies that other styles, more contemporary styles are then illegitimate. Um, but so I typically do start there. After that, we would go, um, typically I think like hair through rent. So coming up through like mid nineties, um, we don't have a name for that, <laughs> but, um, and after that contemporary, so coming through the two thousands and then into present day, and it'll be interesting to see where we go next, because right now I think the contemporary era, and it's always interesting in, in history that, um, if you look at music history, as opposed to music theater history, it's obviously got a much longer, um, trajectory and there are so many eras and time periods where basically the words, you know, whether you're translating them or whether they're in English, it means new or now or today or contemporary. And then you progress and then you need a new word, right? So I'll be interested to see what comes after contemporary for musical theater. But right now it's marked by a lot of pop style. Yes, 100%. Because like currently pop has changed a lot mm. and people fail to realize that. And I feel like that's also influencing musicals because sure. people are like the Lynn Will, the Lynn Manuel Mirandaification of everything. Yeah. Is a, a thing that's happening. Uh -huh. And however you feel about Lynn Manuel Miranda is <laughs> against you and God. That has nothing to do with me. But it's it's true. It's very yeah. it's going to be very pop focused, but I don't think that's typically a bad thing. No, sure. Um, cause uh, it's getting a lot creative. Cause I remember when six came out, people mm. were like mad cause there was auto tune. Like people yeah. were losing their mind, but it really did add for the small moments that like they did have the auto tune. Right. It wasn't taking away. It wasn't showing that they weren't singing. It was to emphasize a point. Yeah. Yeah. I typically feel like all of it is welcome. You know, there's a, there's a space for everything. And I, Two, and sometimes one to criticize when something is overproduced. You know, I can't get into stuff like, the, again, this is like a, a kind of old example, but when I was in college, Glee was really popular. I don't like Glee. I don't either. Another B-flat moment. <laughs> Glee is eh. Yeah, I don't. And, and maybe for a few reasons, but one of the things that I really, I think people expect me to like something like that because it's, you know, it's cutesy and it's musical and all of that. Yeah. But it was so overproduced and it was just so clear that everything was auto-tuned and nobody was singing live. And that's what I like about musical theater, right? Like I like live performance specifically. That's why I like theater. It, you exactly. get a different energy when you're sitting in a room watching somebody perform. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I would probably use it sparingly, but I agree. I think that there are ways that that can enhance and it's additive, right? You know, I would be upset if everything now were written in the style of six. Yes. I wouldn't like that if, if we got rid of everything else and yes. everything felt very produced. But why not? And, you know, I think it, it broadens the appeal and it, it makes it so that audiences can keep up and be interested and it, it's relevant. Yes, it's, it's adding a new layer because um, if please correct me if I'm wrong, you know more than I do. Mm -hmm. But the Gilded Age, New Year Classical was really the first time point from opera for performance wise singing, if I'm not mistaken, from what I read. Yeah, that was a big turning point from um, more operatic styles yeah. um, and also, you know, coming from traditions like vaudeville um so oklahoma is typically seen as a big turning point toward the genre as we see it today or as we know it today for musical theater 
where you really had these productions that had fully integrated um, music, song, uh, sorry, song, dance, and spoken word. So blending all three of those things in a way that advanced a plot and told a story instead of feeling more like a variety show. So yeah, that is, we typically do think of that as like the beginning of what we now view as musical theater. Yeah. And I feel like that's also really like heavily evolved. I think one of the biggest places I saw this was like Hairspray, which is where we saw like the main character live on stage. Mm. And that's like kind of like what people are expecting now. And so when they don't live on stage, people are like, this wasn't a musical. Right. And I'm like, that's a very like new thing. Like literally yeah. we watched someone pick the someone to be like, you know, uh, oh my God, someone's going to kill me now because I can't remember her name. Um, I didn't watch it. I'm, I'm talking about from Legally Blonde just in general. What what is what did, what was her name? Uh, Wait, from Legally Blonde? Yeah, Elle Woods. Elle Woods. There we go. <laughs> just like we saw somebody, we got to pick Elle Woods and saw her. Yeah. Basically, that was a very big turning point uh, to me personally. This is when I really remember just like people living on stage, like the main character. We don't ever see them leave, right. especially with the adoption of movies to musicals. Right. That's to me a current big shift that yeah. people are like, how do these people like people are experiencing really bad vocal damage from it? Yeah. And it's because of the shift in musicals that we're doing. Like, this is another big shift to me. And I honestly think that could be a whole generation thing within itself. But that's, I'm not, I'm not knowing enough. No, yeah, it is. It's very interesting. And I, you know, as things evolve, problems do pop up. And that's one of them. You know, it's, that's something that we, we deal with in musical theater training and in voice training that as the genre evolves and as uh, demand increases for certain styles of singing even we do have to also kind of figure out but what can someone do eight times a week you know it, it might not be the same as what you can do in a recording studio a hundred percent um well thank you so much for being here with me today you're so welcome thanks for having me we're gonna end our show with a fizzle down feel good as okay. always so what's one good thing that's happened to you this week oh um let's see I, um, so I have a, a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. They're adorable. They are, um, insane. And yes, they are very cute and they will use it against you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have gotten to see as my younger one gets a little bit older than playing together a lot more recently, which is just melt your heart. Um, and the little guy has been much slower to do a lot of the milestones than my older one was. And I think that's partly because he is younger. We just do everything for him. Yeah. But so he doesn't talk nearly as much as my older one did at his age. But this week we have heard him starting to say brother. And so he'll go give um, my my younger Rory will give his big brother a, a big hug and say, oh, brother. And that's just if I ever need a little serotonin, I just play it in my head or on my phone, of course. <laughs> Forever and always. Yeah. I love that. Um, For me this week, we had I2E2 and yeah. I was on the student panel and I really liked that. I so. had to miss that. I saw the pro panel, but how did how did it go? It was people fun? liked it for good. the most part. We got some good interaction with the crowd and like we really some people said they really enjoyed it. So I, I really did like it. Cool. Cool. Good for you. Yeah. So that's like that's my good thing this week. I got to be on a panel for the first time. So awesome. I, I love that. Um, are there any projects that you're working on? I am heading into the importance of being earnest. Yes. We start rehearsals week after next. So that's my next thing. Be ready for that podcast episode to get those tickets. And yeah. then um, you may or may not be teaching addiction class next semester. I am hoping so. Yeah, it's something that we've talked about. Um, yeah, so I might be teaching voice and diction in the spring. And if so, come study with me. Be on the lookouts when, you know, it's time to register for classes. Yeah. Those are great things to see. We will also be doing a musical, The Cat Department, in the spring. We haven't released a title yet. 
yet, but we're hoping to do that soon. So we hope. Stock Instagram is what I'm hearing. That's right. Yeah. Be on the lookout. Um, if you want to go follow the UNA Instagram, it's uh, UNA Cinematic Arts and Theater. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's UNA Soda and UNA Soda Pop. S-O-T-A-P-O-P. Um, is there anything else that you've been working on that you want to share? Uh, let's see. Ernest, the musical, and I'm always already prepping for summer stock at the Ritz. So that's that's on deck too. Just be on moving the from one project to another. So yeah. Never know where he's gonna be. Well, thank you so much for having have, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you for being here with me. I'm in charge now. <laughs> I can't speak today. Let me just give it over to Suzanne. Anyway, we will I will see you guys in the next episode. Hopefully Suzanne will come back again and I will learn how to speak. <laughs> Until then, I'll see y'all later. Bye. Bye.